This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. Uh, also devoted, apparently, to too much talk about uh, animal feces last week. There was a guy who was really mad about it. I'm joined by a man who loves to talk about animal feces. It's Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Aaron Mike Spears. Uh I, it's not that I enjoy talking about animal feces, it's just I never thought that animal feces would become such a facet in my life, and <laughs> that's just kind of, that. luckily, don't have m- many additions to add to the Charles Mingus, Mingus, not Minkus, uh, a guy to potty train your cats, and I'm not going to allow this to go on much longer, but you know, I, I'm here, it's, it's cold and wet up in the compound, uh, it's like we had spring and now we don't in South Carolina, it's kind of wild, uh, were you getting any of that insane weather as well, Aaron, like, it, it feels seriously like we are in, a, it feels like that we are in February or March right now in South Carolina. Yeah, it's gone back to being cold. I got better from being sick and am now maybe sick again, or it's allergies, can't really tell, but uh, I'm fucking miserable. So it's just, it's been great. Uh, Nate, you're also here, and I just trust that you're going to bring a cheerier mood (laughs) to the podcast. Uh, I'm not really in a cheerier mood. (laughs) Um, I'm not sick, thankfully. We do have the same just sort of shitty, dreary weather here. Uh, I do appreciate that one guy complained about talking about animal feces on the show. So you let off the show with it and we jumped right back into more animal feces talk. That's the everything elite promise. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I was in a pretty bad mood today. Generally, I really thought, oh, this we're not going to have a fun show because Aaron's feeling down. Uh, but then even like a pretty uneven and weird dynamite was like, at least, at least had enough good on it that I'm like, well, you know, that, that lifted me out of my, you know, annoyed work frame of mind, tired of fucking, you know, emailing morons, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard, frankly. I mean, this, I guess, is a spoiler for how I felt about the show, but pretty hard to bring me down when your show kicks off with Yuji Nagata on American television. So that was pretty exciting. So I'm excited to talk about Blue Justice on this show. Um, if you want to know more about cat feces, make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate's at Epitasis. Mike's at Fuji. Hey, subscribe to the podcast, whatever podcast app you use. Just uh, hit that old subscribe button on the everything elite feed and you'll get these as soon as they come out, usually on Thursdays. Uh, give us a rating and review, a five star rating and review if you use the Apple podcast app. And the best way to support the show, as always, is to head over to patreon.com slash everything elite. And subscribe. It's double or nothing month, pay per view month, which means we'll have a lot of fun content uh, and a live instant reaction show after double or nothing, as we do after every pay per view. So make sure you join us. We'll kick it off with Elite or Delete. I know somebody's going to talk about Yuji Nagata before I get a chance to. So I'll just uh, ride your wave. So, Nate, what do you want to talk about, bud? What was your favorite thing? 
interesting okay we'll see if that's the case uh, i think there was one one segment on this show that stood out above the others but it's not what i'm going to talk about i am instead going to talk about the segment that most exceeded my expectations um this like i said this show did have a a, a, a lot that i really liked you know at least at least three or four segments that i thought were great uh and then really spent the rest of the time just trying to frustrate me as much as possible and do its damnedest to bring me down off that high from the beginning of the show. Uh, the thing that, that most exceeded my expectations, the Young Bucks versus SCU match, I thought was a lot better than I was expecting, basically. Um, you know, going to this match, I was like, hey, this is a totally solid pro wrestling story. Great thing to do with a you know, new champion heel team. You've got a, a historically important tag team, especially on the indies, uh, and especially with uh, Chris Daniels in SCU. And they've set up this whole stip, the whole Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair stip, where if they lose, they're going to break up. You've got these heels that are getting over in their new heel persona, and they've you know, identified this team as the team they really looked up to and idolized and became friends with and went up and down the roads with. And I was kind of like, okay, so it's, you know, a fine little story. I guess fine is maybe, maybe a little unfair. A, a good pro wrestling story. You know, I don't really know, know how much Chris Daniels has left in the tank. Frankie Sarian can still, you know, go out there and, and go at a professional level. But a lot of the matches is, is probably going to be, you know, maybe trying to hide Chris Daniels or something like that. So wasn't expecting a lot from the match, but basically this match exceeded my expectations in that, Chris Daniels was gushing blood, <laughs> busted open, bleeding all over the place, pouring blood, pouring blood on the Young Bucks. Um, and they did a great job in this story, in this match, I thought of telling a story that really got the crowd behind SCU. They did not want SCU to lose this match, even though, you know, SCU is like not a, not a team at the top tag team level of AEW, I don't think. Um, you know, you, you look at your slightly more cynical fan reactions, I think, on Twitter. And most people are like, hey, let's, you know, fucking break up SCU already and move on. Uh, but the the fans in the building didn't want that. They wanted SCU to win. They wanted the baby faces to win. They wanted the heels to lose the title. Uh, and I was just along for the ride. I'm like, you know, they might do it. Mike half-ass talked me into, you know, maybe SCU will win this match. They they didn't really get a reign together in this in this company yet because Scorpio Sky, uh, you know, was involved in their initial reign. So maybe they want to send off Chris Daniels with the title reign in AEW. But no, the right team won in the end. Young Bucks win with, um, what's the word? With, not with authority. That was the WWE trade card game. With, not emphasis. With authority was more like uh, NBA Jam. What, what's what's with prejudice? That's what I was looking for. The, like the legal there term. you go. They won with prejudice, um, and you know the Young Bucks were fucking dynamic heels. They really were owning their uh, prick personas, doing the the half ass or the 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 fake sarcastic crying "I love you" spot to Chris Daniels. Um, so yeah, that I came away from that like yes, that could not have gone any better. That was that was the maximum you can get out of that match on this night with this team and this storyline. Uh, and then they did immediately turn around and piss me off by jumping to the back for a pointless locker room angle instead of giving us the crowd, you know, giving SCU their flowers. 
it was something that I felt like this was Christopher Daniels' best performance since everything pre uh, Dynamite. To be honest, like you have to go back to like Double or Nothing One against Strong Hearts or the match he had against Shima at uh, it was Fighter Fest. It was Fighter Fest that they had that match, but. This rocked. This was an incredibly strong match. Uh, Daniels went for it, and they even made a way that that like a botch didn't feel like a botch. It felt like it was a part of the match because he had so much blood loss, and that you know, like he was really overextending himself. So like the first time he went for the best moonsault ever, he slipped off the top ropes, and it actually kind of looked really cool the way that that was, and just like told a really good story. It, it's something where. I kind I I did kind of speculate wildly as I'm one to do on like about like the ways that could have gone with this and they picked the simplest most direct way that's like okay SEU is done and now we can later figure out what you do with Frankie Kazarian now without an SEU like Scorpio Sky even though he's turned heel and hasn't done anything with him for months is still a part of the SEU intro and I always kind of figured that like if there's gonna be like some breakup thing. I kind of saw it maybe happening with like SEU dropping the titles eventually to Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky and that being it and having that thing of like, oh, the guy who ended it being Scorpio Sky. But this match rocked. The Young Bucks, yet again, I mean, best match of the night, I would say. And uh, just like always, we have to give a shout out to Doc Gallows. Just whenever he's, uh, whenever the, whenever you see him on camera, your eye just gravitates to him. And it's something that makes it very difficult for me sometimes to take the Unbucks matches seriously when he's out there because he's just such a wild card out there. And I mean, all time great fit tonight, guys. I mean, he had the leather, he had the leather fedora, he had the uh, the the, the talking shop summer T-shirt, and then he had on one of the greatest French jackets I've seen of all time. But the match rocked, and the to the back was a little like. I mean, if you're going to break up this tag team, you are going to do the most impacting possible and make them go to the back. So it sucked, but that was very fitting. That's right. So. Maybe it was a tribute to their time in TNA. Maybe that was the idea. I uh, want to shout out uh, Everything Elite comedy correspondent, Patrick Cosmos, who had these two great lines about uh, Luke Gallows tonight in the in the Discord. Another good reason to join the Patreon and come to the Discord. Uh, first, he said, Gallows looks like if Mick Foley just described dude love to Triple H instead of keeping it for himself. <laughs> <laughs> but then he followed that up with, Doc Gallows looks like if there was a one-man band that covered Guns N' Roses songs at a pride parade. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was uh, good. Yeah, Patrick Gallows has very few people, maybe nobody else, uh, tweets at such a high volume, and I still find them good you know most people that tweeted a high volume like that it's it's questionable if i can find them tolerable uh whereas he has a very high hit rate uh yeah he's very good he's very funny uh so it's, uh, it's a great account and he's great in our uh, discord so join uh the bad thing about doing our show immediately after the dynamite episode is i got a work call during this match and missed the entire fucking match and so i have no clue what happened and i couldn't watch it before we uh, recorded, but I did see the finish, so I'll have to go back and watch this. Uh, but it looked like it over delivered four and a quarter stars. AB, oh, okay, I'll watch it, I'll go back. Uh, Mike, I mean, it sounds like you like that a lot, but what's your elite pick for the show? Yeah, yeah, uh, I really that was my favorite thing on the show by a good margin, and uh, 
All right, I definitely skipped it. It wasn't really even my favorite thing on the show, but I was trying to trying to give you guys one of the easier great segments. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, oh, just like looking at it. The the, the thing okay, about the, the other show... there's two other options, Mike. It's the main event and then the UG and Moxley. Yeah, yeah. I'll so talk those about are the, the main those event. are the options on the show. I'll talk about the main event because I know that I probably am going to diverge pretty heavily with Aaron on this. Uh, I thought that this was very much the Darby match and we've talked about the Darby match and how we've gotten kind of, we felt like they've kind of got long in the tooth, but I feel like that in a way of blowing off the Darby match, this main event with Miro winning the TNT championship, he is now the fifth TNT champion. I felt that like the idea that Darby kept on like trying to pull out tricks that he got out of other matches with. And I felt like that that was really kind of cool. Like him going for the code right, that getting kicked out of. Him going for flash bends, that getting kicked out of. Him going for arm bars, him getting out of that. I thought that that was a nice and kind of a smart uh, little nod to how Darby was winning these matches by the skin of his teeth. But now we have someone who is just too powerful and sees through it. The coffin drop catch was a little much. Like, that was something that I will fully admit. Like, that was the one I was like, oh, okay. But everything else with that was really cool. Uh, Miro looked sick. Uh, Darby looked valiant in defeat. Like, basically being absolutely murdered and having to be, uh, having the referee, like, make it be a referee's decision. Loss, he did not tap out in the game over. But, you know, it was not the match I think anyone was really expecting. But I felt like that by kind of playing off the fact that Darby is someone who was getting by by the skin of his teeth for so long, but he came across someone who just, that stuff did not work on. I feel like that that made this a more compelling match than the usual Derby defenses that we've been seeing as of late. Okay, yeah, I, I just made it too complicated picking the picking the Young Bucks match for mine. Should have just gone with my genuine thoughts. I, I thought this match was pretty much perfectly worked. Um, th- this is exactly how I would have laid out this match. This is exactly what I thought this match should have been and was uh, and would be. Um, you know, they, they set it up with Darby taking the huge bump last week and he's coming in, not a hundred percent. And you have Miro as the heel on the war path. Who's going to come out and destroy him before the bell. And then Darby being the guy who just won't die. You know, he, he's, he's been getting through his matches by the skin of his teeth. Yes. But all, that's also just part of his character is that he's going to take a beat down and he's not going to die. And he's going to keep coming and keep getting back up. Cause that's what makes him the baby face that all the, you know, all the kids love. Um, so yeah, I thought, you know, they gave, they gave both the guys the perfect amount. Like Miro was dominant throughout. Like you said, Miro had solved all of his tricks and signature spots that he used to win the other matches and, and, uh, and escape, you know, he, he, uh, that stunner, he caught him on the, on the, on the float over stunner that he does. He caught him with the dive to the outside, which was great. The, yeah, the execution on the, on the coffin drop catch was like, a little goofy, you know, it's like, well, he's still on the ground. Like, how is that different than just getting hit by the coffin drop? But, you know, you kind of you kind of just fudge that because it's wrestling or whatever. Maybe, maybe he sits up and he's like seated when he catches him and that makes it look, you know, 50 percent better, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, perfect story. It, it, Miro killing the guy, being dominant, Darby refusing to die. Darby eventually just getting in a situation where he's taking too much damage over this title reign and over the last two weeks. Uh, and gets caught in this submission that there's no hope of him escaping. Um, and, you know, but all the fucking people in this match, just like superstar presences, superstar 
performances down to like the facials, like Miro, just like next level intensity whenever he looks at guys. Darby, uh, totally appropriately selling where he is in the match, where he's like the fucking fighter and he's in over his head, but he's not going to shy away from it. And and Sting at ringside, like there was that moment where Miro looks at Sting and he's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking kill him. And you see Sting not wanting to give Miro anything, not selling for him, but obviously concerned about Darby. Just fucking professional wrestling right there. Um, and yeah, just, you know, great spots. That 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 throw, that one-armed throw Miro did. Um, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a half-assed gourd buster or something uh, where Darby fucking lands right in those lower back and then like stands up and crumples and falls into a bump. Just awesome. Perfect match, basically. Uh, wouldn't have had it any other way. Uh, all right. I'll, I mean, I'll be the guy. That's fine. Um, yeah, you know, like a vacuum. I thought it was a, a really fun match up until the the coffin drop catch, which I thought was a little goofy. Uh, just because I think anybody who listens to the show knows that I hate like catching moves like that. I just think it sucks. It's like you can't catch someone when you're lying on your back. That's uh, that's impossible. Yes, Nate. <laughs> the when Kyle O'Reilly would do those catches where he catches somebody in a submission. That was always cool to me. Yeah, but this was, he just, Darby yeah. landed on him. Yeah, and no, he this he just like took Allegedly the caught him. <laughs> but he had his arms around him, so it doesn't hurt for whatever reason. Yeah. Right. And I was thinking at the time, I was like, well, I was even trying to like justify it. I was like, well, you could say, you know, Darby doesn't weigh that much. He could have like played that up, but they didn't really. It was just like, no, he just did that uh, magical pro wrestling thing where you catch somebody when they try to jump on you. But my my problem with the match um was within context in in a vacuum i had fun with it but in context darby's as we've discussed darby's whole thing is that or has been in this promotion that he basically uh, gets his ass kicked and then just squeaks out a win at the end yet in this match he was much more competitive with miro than he has been with anyone else. And the point of this story is to get Miro over as a big ass kicker, as like a, a, you know, a guy who can come in and dominate. So to me, it makes more sense for everybody if Darby had been more dominant in those previous matches, and then Miro appears more dominant by beating this dominant champion, especially if you're going to do a back-and-forth match, which this is something we discussed in the past too. It's like, you know, your TV main event probably needs to be uh, an extended match. It probably can't be a two minute match, uh, which I think makes sense. And I don't think I, I want to strongly disagree with the talk about that. This should have been like a 10 second squash. Like, I just don't think that was the, the right thing for either character, but I think the way they built up Darby uh, doesn't make sense in the context of this match. So it just kind of made that silly. Now, when you're just watching a pro wrestling show, you can forget that when five minutes in, they're just having a kick-ass match and you can just enjoy it and that's fine. But I think going along with uh, my criticisms of the rain, this kind of fell uh, right in with uh, my concerns the whole time. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with you. I agreed with you then that I would have liked to see Darby just get more wins, dominant wins over guys earlier in the show instead of always having... You know, what if it's supposed to be blow away main events where he has to go 50-50 with Preston fans or whatever. Um, what's but, the, yeah. I was going to say, what's the most dominant when he had in his reign against Jungle Boy? Because it feels like that one, even there, was still like a 60-40 match. Like, like it was never Darby winning, like, authoritatively mm, in this title. Yeah, it's, 
there's probably one that I've forgotten that was like not a main event that was earlier in his reign, and it just doesn't come to mind. As we know, I'm not great at listing uh, previous title (laughs) challenges in AEW. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear me talk about the Jungle Boy match again, so I I don't remember. I have bad brain, of course, so hard to say. Uh, But yeah, kind of just played into all that. Uh, But, you know, I think a reasonable way to end the Darby title reign, uh, Miro makes sense as the next champion. Looks like they're setting him up for Lance Archer, perhaps at double or nothing. And that's a good uh, first defense for Miro. And you get you get Miro going. Now, okay, a lot of discussion about, oh, well, why would you bring Miro in to do all the goofy stuff he did? And now you're just doing this. But to me, it's like, I don't know. Maybe you had other shit planned for like the top of the card. And this gave Miro a chance to kind of do something that was fun. And now that you have an opportunity to do something else, you do it. Like Miro was not a Miro was already a star coming into the company. It's not like he had to be made a star. So I, I really don't have any concerns with them waiting to pull the trigger on a, a big Miro push. Yeah. You always have to find stuff to do with people when they're not going to be part of the, you know, one, a one B two, a two B programs. Like that's like the challenge of pro wrestling. So he wanted to do fun video game stuff with the best friends. We really respected when he came to this company. Uh, and I thought that feud pretty much, enhanced everybody in the company or not everybody in the company, everybody in the feud, like the best friends had a great feud victory in there. Uh, Kip Sabian, who was like, you know, uh, uh, liable to be left by the side of the road there. Cause they you know, had to fire his tag team partner. And then, you know, people weren't super high on him in the first place. He got a great tag team program out of that. And now he has something to come back from with Miro in the future. Cause they ran a great angle with him and Miro uh, and Miro, you know, got to show his personality got to plug his Twitch channel uh, and then got to look like an absolute fucking crazy psychopathic killer. So uh, it was a success on all fronts. I basically love Miro's run of this company so far. All right, moving on to uh, my elite pick. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Blue Justice, the only blue life that matters, Yuji Nagata. Um, I don't know. Am I? I think maybe I am just a guy who likes uh, old wrestlers. (laughs) I think maybe that's just part of my personality, perhaps. Uh, So to me, it was a lot of fun to see things like Yuji Nagata back on TNT after 23 years. Uh, I love the ties to Nitro. That was cool. But it's not just that, because above all that, Yuji Nagata came out and they had two really cool entrances which were uh Thoros especially was loving everybody was loving in the discord because you had Nagata come out to his uh New Japan theme and then you had Mox come out to Wild Thing in an homage to uh Atsushi Onita that was cool and then they just put on like one hell of a pro wrestling match especially for a 53 year old guy so I thought everything about this really worked yeah I I really loved the presentation they did for this. They went the extra mile at the presentation, which is important to make it feel special. And they've, you know, been pretty good about in this promotion doing, doing little things to make, you know, uh, uh, certain segments pop or certain shows pop. Uh, so having written Rita there was great. Cause you got to have somebody from your own company backing you up. Uh, they had a Rocky Romero in the crowd kind of gives it a big feel. Um, crowd had a great reaction for Eugene Nagata, like pop for his signature moves also. So that was cool. Um, and then Moxley with, with the wild thing was badass. Uh, and I, and I, I do think Yuji Nagata can still go. Um, they, 
they didn't give us a New Japan epic. You know, they didn't give us a, a 18 minute New Japan epic here, which, you know, I'm not going to complain about because uh, I've advocated for shorter matches on this show. I do. I was a little annoyed. It was the first match on the show. It's like they've really went and promoted this match very heavily for the last two weeks or whatever. Yuji Nagata was doing interviews. Uh, the social social accounts are blowing up about it from New Japan AEW. Yeah, you know, I, there was probably uh, Moxley did interviews all promoting this match. And then it's like, okay, it's the first match in the show, which I just hate. I, I want big matches at the end of the show. I think you should build a show like that. Um, Moxley, I'm going to complain about just Moxley. Like Moxley, motion, super over, delivers in a lot of spots. Um, he doesn't really, when you get Moxley in there trading elbows with a New Japan guy, you kind of go, I don't know. You're kind of like this is not this is not Ishii and Shibata. This is not Suzuki and Ishii. I mean, granted, those are like all time hit each other really hard guys, but Moxley just does, his shit does not look super painful at all. I think that's why he's so great at death matches because it's like, well, yeah, he he's got his you know dopey little dive and he like kind of runs and pushes guys and these are his spots and yeah, he's huge, but I don't know his, his shit just doesn't look super stiff to me. So it's like, yeah, well, you know. That's why when he hits a guy with a light tube or a chair or barbed wire or whatever, it's like, okay, now now the aura of Moxley matches the actual violence level because he's got these props. I think the reason why they started the start of the show with this is like the idea that they like to spike the, the rating and then they want to oh, like have ab- a... Absolutely. Yeah. They, they certainly love putting like their second biggest segment on first yeah. and doing a high like energy work rate thing there. I just, I, I don't like it. I hate it. It's something, though, that with that, it still felt like that this would have been, like, the 9 o'clock top, middle of the show match, like, top of the hour match, especially considering, like, like we all love Yuji Nagata. He was excellent in this match, and I, I would argue that our subsect of the internet was already hyped and, like, revved up for it, but, like, putting someone that other than, like, promos and all of that and clips as your opener and in your idea that this is like the second most important segment of the show really bold like i was like i felt like that was a pretty bold thing uh one of my favorite things about this match like, like y'all hit on a lot of the high points was eddie kingston as moxley's uh corner man like the way that like eddie was like in the corner of the shots whenever they used the uh floor camera and eddie was like barking the entire time like he was like talking to moxley and he was like he is he and he was like trash talking the entire time and was going like eugene Nagata his old he he doesn't have shit and it just was awesome stuff and it kind of gave this match a completely different feel with renderita out there than eddie kingston out there and you know for a this match was not even 15 minutes like this match did not get out of the not get in the second quarter i felt like that it hit all the notes it needed to got accidental blood you know which you know made the accidental blood that came later and then other things happened later you know seemed kind of uh you know by that by the time we got to like nine o'clock there was a lot of carnage that has happened accidentally on this show but it was a really solid time and it was sick and you know now they have to do the uh tnt challenge so we've had yuji nagata shows up i i know that we're not probably going to be able to get some people out i i know we can't get magnum tokyo out there like we can't do that suo you can get out there but Dragon Kid and Don Fuji, let's get him back on TV. You know, let's bring him back out there. We got to get everyone from Nitro on there. Ultimo, Ultimo will work. I mean, if you let Ultimo set, set up a place where he can sell masks, Ultimo will be there. 
So that that's the thing I'm hoping on is that we get a lot more of like these throwback matches with people who appeared on Nitro. Like, what's Ernest the Cat Miller up to? Like, do we know what Ernest the Cat Miller is Ooh. up to? I want to say somebody mentioned that there was like an Ernest the Cat sighting at the Nightmare Factory or something recently. I feel like I remember half of that in a DM Scoops, somewhere. Scoop, scoop, scoop. So yeah, Ernest the Cat Miller should be uh, Miro's first TNT uh, title opponent is what Nate just proposed there. You know, hat tip uh, EE in case you're going to cite this elsewhere. Yeah, the the thing about um, Mox, I think we kind of discovered this when Mike and I did that this is John Moxley, available on patreon.com slash everything elite, is that he's like one of the best wrestlers ever to not really be that good at anything in ring. <laughs> like really nothing he does in the ring stands out, but he's just fucking really good. It's just like his whole package is really good. Yeah, I think that's why the deathmatch shit is like pretty... Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, you don't have to ignore that. Like his dive looks like shit, and his right. his forearms are like pretty soft. Like I would take, you know, thirty John Moxley forearms. That's no problem. But but Mox was never meant to be this type of wrestler, right? Like I mean, he was just a deathmatch guy, uh, right? And then like an FCW guy, right? But like he was kind of miscast into this role. Yeah, I think just his size, just yeah. literally his his, his size pushed him into a arena that he was he was not born for or something not no yeah. but he's he's kind of been squeezed into it in a funny way you know and it, it ended up working out but yeah, yeah. He's, he's not a natural uh you know uh delete as we're talking about this whoever missed the fucking roll his eyes back in his head shot they got like, to it eventually they did but it's like but... the one thing that you have to do in a yuji nagata match so like I was good. happy that the crowd popped for it, so that I kind of gave it a pass. He's like, "Yeah, all right." Yeah. But I, I, you know, I have, I have complaints about the direction almost every week. Uh, listener elite Chelsea, I feel like Chelsea uh, give this to her a lot, but she makes a lot of good points, and also she's an eight dollars subscriber at at patreon.com slash everything elite. She says Matt Jackson making faces while someone shaves their pubes during the picture in picture. <laughs> so Nate, Ooh, you probably I missed. missed this. I did miss that. There is a, a popular uh, Venus. Well, I shouldn't say the name of the company. I'm your Venus. That exactly. was not was not a leg shaving commercial back in the day. Well, now they've got a pube shaving uh, ah, razor. This is and, the this is the downfall of Western civilization. Of course, is that we talk about pube shaving on television. Yeah, and and a, a young woman uh, in you know I'm not sure if it's underwear or like a bikini, but she has she's very tattooed, and then she starts. I mean, obviously because only tattooed people have loose <laughs> morals to shave their pubes so uh, that's why it makes sense anyway that's that's our listener elite of the week <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about bill simmons earlier so yep these are our listeners uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry everybody i think okay. about bill simmons a lot it's fine yeah it's bad you should be saving for the future but savings accounts suck and investing can be scary we combine the ease of savings with the real returns of investing. We call it Save Vesting, and it's only available in our new app, Stairs. Stairs offers 4 to 6% returns, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Do your future a favor. Visit stairsapp.com today. Um, delete picks of the week. Nate, what do you got? Um, this fucking, I mean, this is. So this is why I'm taking taking the obvious one because I fucked up on the first segment and tried to put one past y'all. 
Uh, the fucking Pinnacle Inner Circle segment was just fucking horrendous. I hated it. Uh, the whole the whole point of this feud was MJF getting away from Chris Jericho's, you know, WWE comedy skit bullshit. And like, no, the Pinnacle, we're going to be ass kickers. We're going to do violence. Uh, and they delivered on that. Like, the Inner Circle came back in a super violent backstage attack, and that was awesome. Uh, and then we got the super violent blood and guts match, and that was largely awesome. Uh, and then you get the goofy finish to that. Uh, and then you really just double down on the goofiness with this segment where, you know, they're having a little celebration, whatever you can imagine the figure, the, I'm not the figure four. <laughs> you can imagine the four horsemen doing this where they come out in their suits, you know, and they celebrate about being rich and all this, and they have women with them. That's fine. Uh, but then the fucking inner circle comes up on their little high school golf cart, uh, with a bizarre trailer in the back. And it turns out Chris Jericho's there. He's not gonna even going to be gone from TV for a week. He's, he's right back here. And he's brought a worse version of a WWE angle from 15 years ago. Uh, and it just sucked ass and it was stupid. <laughs> he, uh, I, you know, and they use this stupid hose of water to goad MJF into doing another match immediately after this big, gory, bloody match that should be a blow off like. I, I I hated it. it. It drove me insane. Those guys could have just fucking stood at the far end of the ring and not gotten any of the bubbly on them. They would have been totally fine. But no, they had to stand there and get, you know, a nice refreshing shower from Splash Mountain. Um, and, uh, you know, there was an interesting uh, part on the Sammy Guevara vlog this week, which uh, we talk about on on the Patreon, where we see Sammy in the aftermath of the Blood and Guts match, and he's talking about how frustrated he is. He's just, I'm very frustrated. He's very frustrated about the match. Uh, doesn't say, you know, why exactly, but I would, I would presume to read into that, that he's frustrated about the finish and frustrated about the reaction to the finish. Um, and you just can't, you can't keep putting these guys out there and having them do these big prop angles and big prop finishes and big, you know, big special effect segments. Uh, and then just let them down with the special effects and they, fucking look like dog shit and then you've you know sunk you sandbagged all your wrestlers basically uh and that's basically what i think happened here is you had to had to have all these guys selling for a little rinky dink hose and, and it sucked and i hated it the one thing i'll say about that spot was the pinnacle showed their ass like they they made this hose look like it was just like knocking them dead like they were doing like cartoonish pratfalls like yeah no they 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 tried they tried their best to make it work yeah they tried their best but it just got like got to a point and then we're getting another stadium stampede with a if the inner circle loses they must disband stipulation which i mean at least it's not the wwe have a huge giant gimmick match then the next week have a rematch in a straight normal match so that's that but like the promo itself, like, the the best thing that encapsulates the promo is the fact that FTR were fucking with the flowers off to the side, and Wardlow was hitting on the uh, women that came out with them. Like, that was basically encapsulates, even before you got to the inner circle run, and the fact that, like, MJF is cutting like this, like, now I'm the king of the mountain, he had a crown on, and he was doing, like, all these things, and, like, everyone else in the and the segment was just kind of dicking around. And then you had the, as you said, just like the whole like WWF ass, uh, uh, run in there. And now we're getting a studio, a stadium stampede match, which I mean, I, I know that like Lanza or rich tweeted about this, but like 
weird tonal shift going from blood and guts, Jericho being tossed off the cage, to everyone bleeding like crazy, to studios to Stadium Stampede, where last year we had lariats from people on horses, we had bar fights, we just we had a NFL mascot eating a Judas effect. Like, how are yeah. you gonna make this like an escalation at this point? Like, I don't know how you make this match like a, a studio a stadium stampede match and like the overall vibe that they do in these kind of matches. I don't know how you make it more brutal at this point. So right. I'm kind no, of confused you, you there. can't. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a weird tonal shift. It's just a bad tonal shift. I think the, I do, I, I I'll throw him a bone. I, you know, at least if we're doing another match right after the big gimmick match, at least they put like a stip on it. That's like an escalation where, Hey, you have to break up the stable now. Like, so at least there's something at stake in that way. But yeah, you're you're going from what's been a literally blood and guts feud where they're all bleeding and dying in the cage and doing these crazy, you know, fucking spots in the steel cage and all this shit uh, to a match that is uh, uh, famously like a comedy match. Uh, and like, e- even if they go a different way with it, even if they said, no, this stadium stampede is actually, you know, going to be a, a knockdown drag out war. I don't think more people are going to bleed heavier than they did last week. That seems very unlikely to me. So, uh, yeah, Mike, I, I agree that it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it sucked. Uh, there's really nothing much to add to that. Uh, Mike, did you have, wait, was, who deleted that? I deleted it. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm, I don't feel good guys. I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) Uh, and, and you know, the listeners who are like big Nate and Mike heads that are like, they wish Aaron would talk less probably going to happen as this show goes on, because the more I talk, the more I cough. So Mike, uh, you're delete. I guess I, I'm going to do you a solid so you don't have to talk too much about this here. Let's talk about the Cody promo. Le- oh, like, just like it amused me, but not a good promo. Like, but I, I also realized that weird things amuse me and tickle me in ways that do not necessarily apply to the normal viewer. Uh, I just like, I let me see what we have down here for the notes on this Cody promo because it just was just went there. He was proud to be American. Oh, I, I took dog shit notes on this because I hated it so much. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, Mike. yeah. But but like tying together like segregation to like this, and then like Cody like having the tears going on with it, and then it it was something where like it was a Mayor Pete ass promo, like or like a cocaine promo without the cocaine, and kind of like ended up to like with, with uh cody versus ogogo which i mean that's the route you're gonna go with that like make that makes total sense there but like cody made like a big thing about like i'm proud to be american like x y and z like talking about like music talk about like all of this like really like it, it was something that like you you could almost drop in like the uh, i may not be x y and z but i am abc kind of like cadence to that but he will be the American dream for one night only, which I mean, I mean, you're adding stakes to a match that didn't really need the stake to be added other than Ogogo on Twitter, <laughs> just like playing up the point at this point. And it, it, it's something that he saw the reaction he got for his Game Boy tweet. And now he's just going all in there, which I mean, I don't blame him for it. But Cody in this promo, like I, I've talked before, like I, I think that. Th- that the person that's been hurt the most with what's going on here is Cody because Cody's entire conceit is built on the fact that Cody needs to have a captivated audience. And this should have been like the kind of promo that like pre COVID would have been like the big raw, raw ACE energy promo. But 
the crowd booed like the when he started to like try to do a USA chant. The crowd was like, "No, nah, we're not doing that. We're not doing that." Well, and, they did. They did do it. I do. I I, I saw tweets that, that that were people in the building say that people were booing the USA ch- chant. So divergent yeah, well, opinions in the building. Yes, but the chant happened, and then the booing stopped, and the chant continued. Like, um, yeah. So. I don't know if I can say it was a bad promo because I do think it worked for most of the people in the building. Um, I mean, there's like, it's, you know, if you're the person in the building chanting USA, that's pretty cringe. And if you're the person going on Twitter and being like, I said USA is bad, actually, it's like equally as cringe. Um, but it, it, this, this promo in no way makes me like Cody Rhodes. It no way makes me want to see him win this match. In no way in no way like engenders any sympathy from me for Cody Rhodes. But I just like the insane energy of it, the insane, the insane swing this was to think that he could step up and pull this off. Like, and then just and then get, and then get, you know, 70% of the crowd or whatever. I, I kind of have to say, you know, people like insane high-minded promos, from wrestlers whether they make sense or not um you know it's like 80s wrestling had a lot of people talking about big ideas with nonsense words and wrestling terminology and a lot of those people got over um that's kind of you know it's cody's like chasing the dragon of doing a hard times promo and he's like i'm gonna address race relations in america and like to think you could do that is so insane and then for most of the crowd to be right along there with you is uh, just an insane spectacle that I I can't help but be like pro wrestling. What the fuck? Who fucking knows? Um, That's kind of where I, where I stand on it. I do. It's so funny that Cody does these, you know, big, big premise, big high concept promos like this, where he's going to talk in poetics and he's going to have all this pre-written shit uh, and, and do it like it's off the cuff. Uh, and it's totally at odds with his persona on the vlogs where he's just like, you know, his frank, genuine self and like kind of a lovable prick, uh, a swashbuckling asshole, as I called him. It's it's totally the opposite of what he does on TV. And it's so much more likable. <laughs> uh, he, he puts on this big persona of, you know, the, Ameri- the American nightmare. Also, I'm the American dream, uh, you know, the grandson of a plumber or whatever, which is like, it's just a funny, a funny guy Cody Rhodes is, uh, and uh, you know it, it works for him for most of the AEW audience. Yeah, like that's the insane thing about it. Like he still has these energy, and I'm and imagine if he was the swashbuckling asshole doing like the politics speech, like that would have been actually might have come come across, and everyone might have gotten less response, but it would have been more interesting. Honestly, I, f- I fundamentally disagree that like 80% of the crowd was with him. I just, I didn't hear that. Uh, I think like. I said 70%. Uh, well, I, I disagree with that even. It was like, it was stunning to me. The lack of reaction when he started off with like the very obvious jingoist America stuff. I was like, you're in fucking Jacksonville among a bunch of Rick and Morty wrestling fans. <laughs> I'm shocked they're not like all in on this and they weren't they had to be goaded into the usa chant well i I think he kind of gave them mixed signals and that he was saying this is not very popular right now i acknowledge that i'm not saying that's wrong or whatever but i'm gonna say this about me 
Uh, and then even when they started the USA chant and you had like part of part of the people booing or whatever, he's, he's doing like the, you know, Hey, you know, you don't have to do the chant now. It's fine thing. So he's kind of like half-assed dissuading people too. So there was no clear way for the audience to read those signals. You know, when he got to the end and he's talking about his, his beautiful daughter and he's got tears in his eyes, I, I think it's fair to say 70% of people were like, yeah, we love your daughter. Uh, yeah, that may be true. Uh, it's just like, obviously none of us were the audience for this promo. So I'm not trying to evaluate it on those terms. Uh, but it was just, even when he got there, it was like, maybe after that he started to make some sense but it was all over the place leading up to that i was like where are we going here buddy like i, I could and he kind of always does that like even if i think back to the the uh feud with jericho and he would have where he clearly has these like oh i'm gonna make these fucking insane uh jumps you know from this thing to this thing i'm gonna tie it in and i'm gonna blow the roof off and yeah, it used to work uh, for sure. And maybe in a full arena, this would have worked just the same. Uh, but it did feel like one of the worst Cody promos. Like it, it did, even if you just grade it against Cody promos, I just didn't feel like he hit what he was trying to hit here. Yes, I, I don't disagree with that. I think that's right. And I think Mike's right that you know his his reliance on those full crowds is a lot of what made that you know sort of magic click for him. I guess. Um, but yeah, this is a speculative. I mean, it was also, I mean, I think the biggest swing of any of his promos, none of the other promos were like, hey, I know everybody fucking hates America and rightfully so right now, but uh, I'm going to solve it by talking about my billionaire owner of this company and uh, my interracial oh, yeah. marriage. <laughs> Let's like, bury that part. What are, what are we, what, what, how is this, we can achieve this in a four minute television wrestling promo? That seems like a tall ask. Let's bury bootlicker Cody also while we're here. The Shad Con thing. They, are, they, they all love their boss, man. Everybody in that company loves their boss. Oh, yeah. So um, did, did just like do a search for uh, Shad Con union busting. Just to, when you talk about sure. that. Yeah. Oh, but come on. Cody fucking named his dog Pinkerton. He loves union yeah. busting. <laughs> come I, on. I thought it was pink, not Pinkerton. Oh. No, it's Pinkerton. It's like Yeti Pinkerton. It's or maybe that. that's their fucking kid's name. I don't know. It's, it's after the Weezer album. He really likes Across the Sea. Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay, it's my turn. There's nothing else I really hated, but I, so I'm just going to take this moment to uh, dance on my haters' graves, basically. You hate uh, your haters. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about the women's division. There's been all this talk lately about how, oh, it was just injuries and the pandemic and now, you know, they're showing why they always had this long-term plan. It's coming to fruition. Okay, on this show, we had, uh, whatever, a one, two-minute Thunder Rosa squash, uh, Britt Baker interview. And these continuingly, or con yeah, I'm going to go continuingly. I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to go with it. Uh, bizarre Jade Cargo promos where she says, uh, all these managers are trying to get me. Keep going, but I don't want a manager. No one can control me. It's like I really don't uh, understand what's going on there. But okay, so now we have this build toward the the Brit and Sheeta thing, which, by the way, as they pointed out here, is something that was a build that existed a year ago. It's not like something that's uh, you know this this big uh, long term thing that's finally coming to fruition. Really, it's kind of like something they had dropped in their dropped in their lap last year uh they kind of let brit 
uh, cool off at times, you know, just kind of weirdly treated her in a lot of ways. But anyway, they got that. And I'll give them that that's like a, a cool match. I'm excited about that match. But there's nothing else going on. They haven't really built anything else of interest. So uh, according, as far as I can tell, according to AEW, COVID's over. So they don't have that excuse anymore. Uh, so I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear long term because, you know, it's been, you know, 16 months. Uh, so where are the plans for the women's division? It's obviously it just yeah. every few weeks they have some plans and then it looks cool. And then, of course, it drops off again and it's just going to probably continue like this forever. So. Right. Uh, Nick, can I jump in here for a sec? No. It... Oh, OK. Go ahead then. I wasn't talking. <laughs> oh, because oh, it usually goes whoever's speaking. Then we go. We uh, rotate just go, Mark. Just yeah. Go. Uh, it, and it's something that's very apparent because if you watch Dark and Elevation, it's like there are two or three completely distinct women's divisions that are happening too. Like all the stuff that happens on Dark and Elevation very rarely pays off on TV. Like, yeah, Jay Cargill had like a promo there, but didn't really correlate into anything. And it wasn't really building anything because she just kind of did the same thing. And then like, yeah, they had the Britt Baker uh, winning her way up rankings, which was a very quick ascent there. It was like a two week thing. But then like the rest of what's going on on like Dark and Elevation, at least within the women's division, I mean, it's, a lot of like big swole like remember like she she did a promo on dark one week saying that she's going for the women's division nothing happened there and now she's having tag team matches with either kylan king or red velvet who just kind of back down down on like this the, this level of the card now so it's like yes things are happening in the women's division and it's something that in weeks past i felt like that these things were building to something but really when you like you look at everything that's happened in the women's division on this on the show other than like the pull apart during the Forbes magazine shoot that embarrassed Tony Khan, what steps have been made to further the storylines involving like these three different groups right now, or these three different angles right now? Nothing, nothing. Yeah, no, they they just do they do one women's match, and they do one women's storyline at a time, um, pretty much. I, I do find it funny whenever people talk about. I think I think what Jr. said maybe what Tony said. Forbes magazine that's a big deal like no not a big deal it's fake <laughs> like especially funny the k-pop fandom uh in particular fucking goes wild when Forbes magazine writes about their favorite k-pop superstars uh and Forbes magazine which of course is not you know real journalists or anything it's just bloggers who get paid by the view or whatever and you f fucking set up your little blog and then uh you know write whatever is going to get people to click on it so they write fawning stuff about bts and then the jillion bts fans pass around and go wow this guy gets it they, they understand why bts is you know a revolutionary boy group uh and then the guy watches his bank account goes up um so forbes magazine is funny to me the the jade cargill thing is probably the most frustrating part about it because they took jade cargill from this big match with Shaq um on tnt where she, you know, murdered the other girl and looked like a killer and she looks like a superstar uh, and she's got good tweets. Uh, and then I, I don't, they just can't have her kill people on Dynamite or whatever. They have to run a hype package week after week after week that hypes her less and less and less every week. Uh, and like, yeah, this manager thing, I do, you know, I like the idea in theory of a bunch of managers bidding for her interest. I like that they brought in managers who aren't on the main roster and are like, hey, maybe I can get in on this. That's fun. But it's not on TV, so it basically doesn't happen. Um, and also, yeah, it doesn't make any sense because she doesn't want a manager and isn't going to pay them if she gets one. 
Um, I don't know. We do have Vicky. Vicky Guerrero is managing Nyla Rose, who I don't know if she's still in the company, except that she's on BTE. Um, yeah, I just you know the, those those other women are not on the show, so uh, it, it's crazy to me to talk about a division when it's well, it's Hikaru Shida and her you know band of monthly challenges. So, listener did lead, although Nate uh, kind of said this, but I'm going to go with it anyway because I already put it in the sheet. Ogan. Listener Ogan says, cannot delete anything harder than Jericho not even taking a week off after falling off a cage. Fuck out of here. I was thinking about Ogan earlier because when Ogan talked about going to Bola in 2013 or whatever, uh, and was like, yeah, some guys started a USA chant and the rest of the building entirely booed them down and stopped it. Uh, I was like, oh, wow, maybe indie wrestling is like tolerable and you you can go and be in the crowd and not uh, you know, feel like you're surrounded by morons yelling 20 year old Jericho WCW bits over and over. Um, that's unrelated. I was just thinking about my friend Okan. Of course, Nazis also went to PWG, so it's a mixed well, bag. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have Nazis in every fandom. <laughs> True. All right, let's go through the rest of the show. Of course, it kicked off with John Boxley uh, retaining the IWGP US title against Yuji Nagata with the paradigm shift. Then we had Alex Marvez with uh, the uh, as we thought at that time, the remaining unharmed members of the inner circle, Ortiz, uh, Sammy, and Jake Hager. They tell us Santana is in jail. Well, he's been detained. I guess they don't actually tell us he's in jail because he stabbed him Jeff with a fork uh, and they want to rematch really bad promos from Sammy and, and Jake Hager here. Yeah. And like, what is Tony Khan doing if he's having a match that someone is able to go to jail for their actions within like shouldn't there like be some hold harmless or like you waive uh you can't waive criminal prosecution mike okay never mind you can't i mean the government would have to waive that um that that you know i don't that's that's a fine little way to write them off i think that's cute maybe i thought sammy was fine he was bad nate he was fine aaron i can't agree with you there we're mostly disagreeing on promos tonight, which is fine. Cody had the promo. I think it's bad, Aaron. Oh, okay. God damn it, Nate. <laughs> uh, yeah, the killer or the kicker, as as Mike suggested earlier, is that we're going to have Cody versus Anthony Agogo at double or nothing. Cody's going to be the American dream. We got an SCU video. Uh, once they were all family, they and the Young Bucks, now they feel betrayed, but they're motivated because they invented this step out of nowhere that they would have to break up if they lost. Uh, so they're willing to do whatever it takes. And that, of course, led to the match where they lost. Uh, Nick Jackson pinned Daniels with the BTE trigger. I'm not very they high had on the BTE the... trigger as a as a finisher. They have better finishers. That's all. Just in general, like people doing the Kamigoye or the Golden Trigger, the only ones that I've seen that actually look impressive are Kota Ibushi's. The rest of them kind of just look like they're imitating. The... It's like, hey, this is the guy's move. Yeah, I mean, even Ibushi's doesn't look awesome a lot of the time. Also, the BTE trigger, goofy name. <laughs> they have better finishers. I guess that's probably like the easiest one for them to do, so that's why they went to it. Eddie and Mox were tearing up the Elite's locker room. Eddie stormed off, told Mox to, quote, blow up the bathroom. Just a complete aside that was like vague. The, the sound was off for these backside sta- segments. You can hear a single thing, but uh, I, Moxley's going to the bathroom and Eddie was out of frame saying, yo, make sure you blow up that bathroom, all right? And I, and that just cracked me up. 
I think I've told the story on this show before about me going to uh, Alcon, the Weird Al convention. <laughs> yeah, there's some, something about his teeth. Uh, yeah, I, so my girlfriend at the time, big Weird Al fan, and she bought uh, his wisdom teeth, I suppose. But the story I want to tell here is, as part of the convention, now this is the kicker, Weird Al did not perform at this convention, not even one time. There was a, a meet and greet. You could get checkies with Weird Al, but uh, <laughs> but no no performance. Weird Al two shot, please. <laughs> but they had other performers, I, I suppose musicians inspired by Weird Al. And there was this white ginger rapper who, all, I mean, you know, it stuck with me all this time, but he had a song called Blow Up the Bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> what a worker, Weird Al Yankovic. Having a festival completely in your in your in your image like your name's on the marquee not picking up the accordion once other than for checkies what a worker the the ideal version of that would be he doesn't do you know a big full stage full band show but he does like a intimate uh you know oh, acoustic accordion set where it's like <laughs> oh al's gonna play his uh you know most deep and soulful tracks with an accordion and it's you know uh uh fucking eat it uh, i was gonna say eat it but it's like slowed down <laughs> uh, i don't know why but i'm imagining extremes more than words being played on a very slow modeling uh accordion i feel like that that would be like this is especially for you tonight you all have come together it's time i love you all more than words and just like the accordion starts going <laughs> i so badly wish i could remember uh, that guy's name. Sorry, I got caught with a, a Dave Batista a commercial here on, on NBA League Pass. Um, yeah, so that blow up the bathroom reminded me of uh, my trip to the Weird Al convention, where Weird Al greeted my girlfriend by name when we met him, <laughs> we met him in the two shot line. Uh, it's just it's just going to say it. Uh, that, that that relationship seemed like it was on pretty firm ground. The fact that Weird Al can name your girlfriend by name. I mean, I do, I mean, just to word off all the perverts, well, I don't know, but she was like 16, so. Okay, you know. okay, I and, and to clarify, you were also around 16? <laughs> yes, I was, yeah, I was about 23, pretty close oh. to 16. <laughs> no, I would have been, she was actually older than me, so she was probably 17 and I was 16, if uh, if I had to guess, but. In Chicago, Nate, I, I could have met you. There. I did, I probably mentioned this last time we talked about this, uh, but one of my good friends from high school was like a weird Al fan that I, I didn't realize he was like mostly into like jam bands until he'd be like, ah, oh, fucking um, freeze and, you know, string cheese incident or whatever. And then come to find out years later, it's like, Oh yeah, no, I've seen weird Al eight times. Like, what? Yeah, man. What a, what an experience that was. We also, I think I've probably told this story too. I'm sorry, everyone. We also went to see blessed union of souls once and they also knew her by name. <laughs> and she also bought their teeth <laughs> yeah oh man what a time um christian had a promo he's got an open contract next week looking ahead to the casino battle royale which by the way i would just like to break will feature nick gage that's a joke but i'm just assuming he's going to be there and i will be complaining if nick gage is not in the casino battle royale sounds reasonable Bold. thank you matt Seidel came out signed the contract uh, and Christian said, uh, fuck you, you fell off the turnbuckle last year. 
just like a bizarre segment. Like, just like two guys who are not strong at promos, like doing a promo, like making fun of a botch last year. Just this whole Christian thing. Like, each time he pops up, I get kind of worked up about it. But like, what are we doing here? No, I like uh, I like Christian. They they saved him with the with the Taz segment last week, uh, and I thought Inside Al overperformed for me here because yeah, he's not usually the best guy on this match or in this spot in the promo spot. But him saying, yeah, hilarious, man. I, I pop for that. Pack versus Orange Cassidy is up next. This was an eliminator for the um, title match, uh, but it went to a double countout after Kenny laid out Pack. Uh, our, our good friends at the Fightful Patreon <laughs> tell us that this was um, an audible. Supposed to go to a 20-minute time limit draw, but Orange Cassidy got hurt, so they had to do this. Uh, but anyway, we found out afterward that it's going to be a three-way match at Double or Nothing. I hate it. I hate a three-way for your world title. I hate doing a Cracker Barrel Clash for the world title. It's goofy and stupid. Um, I, either either singles match would have been much more interesting to me than a three-way. And, and it's something of the plan of going to a title draw lets them both have a title match does not really ring true with me. Like, if you're going to do a three-way title match, then both of them should have, like, a direct win over Kenny and say, no, I have this one, I have this one. Like, it's still something I wouldn't do, but there's ways you can justify it better than saying, hey, it's a time limit draw. Or, like, like that. Like, like shouldn't that, shouldn't you then, if you're, if the rankings matter so much, shouldn't you then, since that's inconclusive, go to, like, the third-ranked person down the list? is like, okay, since y'all went to a draw and so-and-so won their match, they should jump over you in the rankings, and that should be the title match, right? Like, am I off base in thinking that? No, yeah, I don't. I don't like that either. Um, you know, I I do kind of respect them saying, "Hey, we haven't done a draw in a while. Maybe we can use a, a draw to a good storyline effect or something." Um, but that you know that would have that would have aggravated me when they got to the to the finish line anyway. Like, hey, you guys weren't able to beat each other, so now you both get a world title match and right. now. Now, now the champion is at a bigger disadvantage and doesn't have to be involved in the pinfall because these two guys couldn't beat each other. Don't like so, it. Hate it. So I do not have the rankings as of May 12th. They do not have them on AEW. I think all... they tweeted them, I think, about 15 minutes before Dynamite, so you probably would have to go through all their yeah, video nah, clips and shit. No, no, no. But uh, that would have been John Moxley. So that would have he that like that he was ranked number three going to this. If we're going with my idea that you know you have a draw, you're out of consideration for this year because you weren't able to have a conclusive winner. So yeah, uh, the match was pretty good until uh, you know Pack got too awesome and looked like he uh, Orange Cassidy rung his bell on a Liger bomb. Like I thought these two guys have great chemistry. Like I don't doubt that this match is going to be a really solid match here. Just like deflating is the best way to put it. I would say. Like just the deflating thing, uh, did did get a great image of Pack wearing Orange Cassidy's glasses. That is now a emoji in the Discord. Realizing that because of the way our show is set up, hard for me not to talk a lot on the show. Plus, I am compelled to tell Weird Al stories, so it's a real problem. Uh, we're in the Elite locker room. They're mad about Eddie and Mox. They said they put SU out the pasture. Next week, they're going to wrestle the Varsity Blondes. Uh, and then a real pop out of me from Matt Jackson saying uh, the most selfless Christian men in pro wrestling are going to do, are going to do something selfish for once. Uh, and so they challenge Eddie and Mox for double or nothing. 
Good promo. Alec- yes, I thought it was good. I agree. Alex Marvez with uh, Adam Page in the Dark Order. Asked him about his loss to Cage, falling from number one to five in the rankings. Page says he can't help but think Cage didn't beat him, but Taz did from calling the shots. Says Brian Cage can't be satisfied with that. He should leave Taz and wrestle him again. And it's double or nothing. And John Silver uh, says that's the name of the pay-per-view. They have a fun little laugh about it. Yeah, so you need you need John Silver for this unit. John Silver carries this unit. He comes back, and the segment is much better. The Pinnacle Coronation was up next, which we already talked about. But, man, on the night where Cody did that promo, Tully somehow had the most nonsensical rambling promo on the show. That was insane. Like, talking about, like, you'll look at this watch, and I'll remind you of what you've done. Like, just, and it was given to you by Tully Blanchard. Just a wild night of non-cocaine, cocaine promos tonight. The women was such a funny... Like, again, it seems like something the Four Horsemen would do. Like, hey, we got some some real Jacksonville ladies. Uh, but they like, didn't get – were they in the ring or were they behind the rope? They, they were on the apron. They were yeah, the apron. so it was like <laughs> they didn't really want to commit to it. They didn't want to get real sleazy with it. I, I mean, one person was more than willing to, you know, play it up. Yeah. It was just uh, – you know, <laughs> That was they, a shoot, buddy. They, they had the idea and they didn't really commit to it. In a kind of funny way. Uh, one thing that I did like in the segment, since we already buried a lot, uh, when Sean Spears was pointed out as the Canadian god, he did have a really great shit eating grin when like that happened. Like that was a solid. Like, it just was a, just an insane like period. Like they had four segments in a row, like with the Bucks and then Hangman and Page and then Pinnacle and then Britt and Jr. That just like totally all over the place. Like just insane stretch of like fifteen minutes. Yeah, uh, yeah, you can tell by my reactions to this part of the show that after the Bucks match, I just hated everything, and everything drove me crazy. You know, but you maybe you give a pass to the Pack and Orange Cassidy match because the dude got hurt and they had to audible a finish on the fly. I, you know, if if you're audibling a finish on the fly and being like, hey, Kenny, we need you to go out and do a run, in I guess that's successful in some way. Like you, you came up with a functional finish, maybe. But I, I was super negative on all of this. Uh, and then, thankfully, they got to to Britt, who started to turn things around. She was with Jim Ross for a sit-down interview, talking about Sheeta breaking her nose last year. Britt says, you either let it hurt you or change you. I feel like you can let it do both, to be honest. Just that's my personal aside. Uh, she let it change her, and now she's the baddest bitch in the game. Which is, So it seems like we have to build to a Britt versus Jade Cargill feud from that. Uh, she says Sheeta is going to get killed by the monster she created. It's been a hard year for the division, but Britt is the face of the division, and she's going to give it a pulse when she wins. Britt is like super, super confident and poised and comfortable in this, like in a way that not a ton of pro wrestlers are. A lot of, you know, pro wrestlers, especially in this company where they're young and they don't have years of experience doing sit downs with Jim Ross or whatever, are like, yeah, I'm like acting my way through this promo. And Britt is just like fully uh you know present in herself and sincere and sounds genuine even when she's like doing an exaggerated heel character just can't put over enough how good she is uh thunder rosa defeated jasmine allure with the fire thunder driver jade cargill's with tony shivani and did her thing about managers uh they had a darby video showing uh where he came from and miro saying or him saying that miro's gonna have to admit that he's one tough son of a bitch 
He also Great. called Miro a generic son of a bitch. Wouldn't agree with that. I did the video and the promo. I thought were great. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't call him Mario generic. No, I wouldn't either. Um, a video again scored by friend of the show, Wickerface Brings Eternal. You dropped that into a scoop in the Discord, and um, because I knew you weren't feeling well, and I was concerned for you, and I'm such a good friend. I refrained from saying what I, what I'm going to say now, which is like, oh, I could tell that because I listened to it. Uh, well, in fairness to everyone, I heard it and then said, "Hey, Wicca Face, did you score this?" <laughs> and he simply responded, "Yes." That's how I yes. got the. That's how I got the scoop. It's got that certain something. It does. It had the it had the, the vibes that we like. Uh, and then we had the TNT title match, Darby Allen uh, versus Miro. Miro winning with the game over after the match. Uh, Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky attacked Sting, which they had also done during the match. Uh, but the Dark Order ran them off. Lance Archer came out apparently to challenge Miro. Yeah, match. Great. The, all the other stuff is like, <laughs> I just like ignored it. I'm like, no, this other stuff isn't happening. <laughs> Uh, I feel like this episode has of our show has really mirrored the Dynamite episode in that <laughs> I feel like we brought it in the first hour for E-Lead or D-Lead, and then it's it's kind of gone downhill from there. Well, I mean, we, we've already talked about this match. Like, what else do, do we really have to add here other than, like, it's kind of wild. Like, all these things were happening around this match that had, like, nothing to do with the match whatsoever, and then, you know, like, that's, that's a thing. Uh, Archer versus Miro. That's a fun match. Like, there's a lot of ways that can go, like, in ring. Like, I'm really intrigued to see because of how Miro was kind of booked in this match, how Miro's been booked lately, how Archer's kind of booked. Like, there's a there, there's some meat on the bone here that I'll be interested in seeing how this plays out. It is a cool, like, first-time match. Um, I, I'm still, like, I don't understand why Lance Archer is on this side of this feud now. He loves Sting, and we seem to have people. Well, he, he hated Sting, and then Sting was like, no, you're right, and now he loves Sting, and we'll <laughs> fight and die for him. But he didn't come out to, like, help Sting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, didn't he come out in relation to the ongoing Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky shit with Darby and Sting? Isn't that isn't that the, the sort of uh, program that he's in? I'm just saying, in this at this particular moment, like Sting is getting attacked, and Lance Archer didn't come to help. Yeah, yeah. The Dark uh, Order did for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, whatever. That was a great match. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sully it by worrying about all this extraneous business. Yeah, yeah. As we're saying this, I've been watching the GIF of how Darby bounced off of Miro on that Lope Suicida. Just oh since- yeah. Just insane. I mean, he always does. Those always are great. Um, he, you know, a lot of the time they like look scarier and are even maybe better for that reason. Right. But that one, he just he fully fucking hit him and it looked awesome. Yeah, he, he ricocheted off him. Like he made contact. Like if this was like a car wreck in F one, we would be slowing it down and seeing where the angle change of point of impact. Just in probably the best low pay I've ever seen. I wanted, I want to call Ethan Page the Bill Simmons of wrestling, but I just can't commit to the take. So, can, can you explain the take? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's sound this out here. We're no, in mean, space. It doesn't work because I would have had to have really liked Ethan Page when I was like a freshman in college. So that doesn't work. That's late for liking Bill Simmons. 
Uh, I don't mm, think so. No, I think oh, that's I was, like 2003. Oh, I was. My, oh, t- my, 2003. My, You're fair there. Okay. Yeah, my my roommate in uh, and and post grad was like still way in on Simmons, so I was still like dipping in. And there's he still would have pretty good uh, you know interview subjects a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Uh, but yeah, I definitely remember like I had. ESPN the magazine for some reason and I remember when he like debuted on the last page of that or whatever or whatever was page was it the second page anyway uh, it was definitely like oh that's last the last page last page yeah over last for page. Rick Riley Rick Riley yeah used there you to go. Be it. yeah and I was like yeah that's that's the column you look forward to at the end you're like mm-hmm. oh I went through the whole issue and now I get the little fun dessert on top yeah yeah so it really doesn't work but I just wanted to make fun of Ethan Page and Bill Simmons together so it it, it worked it worked there, Big Cat. We got there in the yeah. end. All right. Uh, if you want to support the show because of all these great comparisons that I've been making, best way to do so is head over to patreon.com slash everything elite and subscribe. We have three tiers. The big difference is the $8 tier gets you the live uh, instant reaction to Dynamite every week, the live free show, plus the replay that lives forever. Uh, that's the main difference. Uh, this week... We had a, a look at the Nightmare Factory produce show number two with uh, our friends, the Spears Boys. Yeah, so Drew and I wrote again. There was another uh, AEW-affiliated student produce show. A lot of just different things happening on this show versus the first one. And then we not as much talk necessarily on this show, but then we kind of, I think it was like the last... 20 minutes kind of talking about how drew viewed the indies coming forward especially coming out of covid and a big topic was kind of pwg in that but i mean it's it, it's one of my like my favorite things to do to hang out with my brother we watch like people at have either their first matches or what they're claiming are their first matches until you do a little bit of research and realize that they were trained by ken anderson but you know it was a good time Next week, uh, I hate to say it because we have an idea that's percolating, but uh, it's not clear to me whether it's all going to come together uh, for Monday. I think it, it, all, it all comes down to the technical side. I think we've got it all sorted, except if the technical side can happen or not. I think I could. I, I think I've have time to pull this off, so I think we can do this on the weekend, so we can announce it now. Yeah. Okay, I guess we'll announce it. So we're going to be doing a licensed theme draft episode i'm not selling this very well the idea is we have already behind the scenes drafted aw roster members and on this show we will propose new licensed themes for each of them you know tony khan obviously all in on licensing music right now so we're going to give some free idea not free five (laughs) dollars that's right tony Uh, you gotta pay the big bucks to tony khan to uh to yeah get some themes for these people so and the fun one of the fun parts will be that if it all works out technologically, it will be a surprise to the other two. Like if it's my turn, they know who I've picked. But mm-hmm. if I say, okay, here's mine, and then we'll play the song, and then you know we'll get some real reactions to the songs. Yeah, we just uh, they had had wild thing on this show. Interested to see if they keep that going forward with Moxley. Um, you know, I, I we've said from the beginning of this podcast, or I've said that the you know, the, the in-house music is not one of the promotion's strong points. Um, and licensed music is a great way to solve that and also differentiate yourself from WWE because they, you know, would never, could never. So, yeah, just came up. I, I mostly came up with this idea because I thought of a better song for Orange Cassidy. And then I was like, oh, I just want to pitch this 
I I've already I I have about half of mine figured out. There's one per there's one group that I'm still trying to figure out. Actually, one there there's one draft pick I'm still trying to figure out. But yeah, I'm really this was a really kind of interesting draft, and I'll be interested to see uh y'all's picks and your reasoning behind those because there's a couple of them that were a little bit like oh okay so i'll be interested in hearing what your better than pixies pick is for orange cassidy well it's it's not necessarily a better song it's almost really not a better song but it's more appropriate i think um yeah i'm I'm interested to see because i'm wondering like if aaron's just gonna hit me with some shit that i've never heard and i'll be like okay i don't really know how to react to this uh so that's gonna be fun if it works at all, then we can go down the rest of the roster on future episodes mm-hmm. and then like really be scraping the bottom of the barrel. Like, who am I going to pick for Kylan King? I don't know. This is hard. I I mean, I, I'm i willing to guess that at least some of my picks I've already figured out, Nate, just because I, I follow you on Spotify. I've seen your playlist here. There's a couple of genres you don't really feature a lot on this that I'm going to be using. So I'll be interested mm. to see your, okay. your response to some of it. I, I just want everybody to know that I bravely chose my wrestlers without having any ideas for their music. So I will have to now. And as of uh, Wednesday night, I still haven't come up with any ideas for their music. So uh, I have depots through Friday. So sometime maybe Friday afternoon, I'll start thinking about or Friday evening. I'll start thinking. I, about I, this. I, I'll say this. Uh, I, I feel like that Nate's going to wash us here. I mean, oh, for sure. Yeah, for it, sure. This is probably I'm getting close. Okay, to my... now this is your your again. That was oh Nate's going to win the trivia game. We're all betting against Aaron, and then you know we saw what happened. So I, I'm not falling for this again. I mean, I I I'm the person who famously did not listen to music until I was in middle school. Okay, so. first of all, you're not famous for that because I didn't know that, and it's super weird. <laughs> we have talked about this before, Aaron. No. Haven't we discussed this? We have the, the first music you listened to was ACDC. Okay, yeah, that was, was on that was on that was on light, right? I don't know. Mike and I talk a lot, so yeah. on yeah. on on uh, podcast, so it's hard to say, really. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I don't, I don't think I've been president of podcast where that was discussed. ACDC, it, I would describe as almost not music. It's yeah. like, it's like uh, the. I guess it's good as an introduction because it's like, well, you know, like loud noises. We're like, right. here's what happens if you start to organize those okay. loud noises in like a sequence of notes, I, and I'm then going. You can, very far away from this take i'm running from this and you can and then you can get like more abstract from there yeah you know it's it's not you know it's acdc is closer to noise than beethoven is what i'm saying right yeah and and it's something that my collection of my first cds like it's something that is hilariously bad the the first five cds i bought were acdc back in black the best of weird al yankovic albums (laughs) volumes one and two uh, Michael Jackson's history. Okay, so hold on. That was that was the second album you bought. So you bought that despite not knowing any of the songs that he was parodying. <laughs> oh, oh, like I have familiarity to music. I just did not listen okay, to music. Well, you did like, say you didn't listen to music. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't. I like I knew who Michael <laughs> fucking, Jackson was. I fucking love the idea of somebody buying parody albums without knowing the song. Now I that was has twelve. I was twelve. Made my day. <laughs> Get, I I was twelve. I'm almost thirty five. This Eat It song is so good. What a fucking great beat! (laughs) This guy's a genius. Yeah. Listen, I've always been this dumb, if not more dumb. Like, (laughs) hey, that was just okay. So three was Michael Jackson. Finish the list. What was four? So so we had no. So we've had four albums there because it's the because it's uh, Back in Black. I'm sorry, Weird Al was two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two volumes there, and then Michael Jackson History, another double album there. 
and then okay that's really cheating <laughs> i know i i know i mean someone is be going through this number five was uh sorry i got back in black and I'm trying to think what was the other acdc album okay because i got two acc albums two of them it wasn't just back sure. in black it was the 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 one that had shoot the thrill on it so i'll just say that back in black fucking rocks it's on the rolling stone list and i have uh divided all the albums into five tiers okay <laughs> As I've listened to them, because are I'm they, a, are they are they named with an appropriate number of stars? I mean, oh, it's Highway to Hell, Highway to Hell, and Back in Black. So, yeah, yeah, it's not ones. really a star system. It's one is I love this album. Two is I really like this album, but there's just something that's not quite there. Three, I like it. Four, I don't like it. Five, it's fucking trash. So, Back in Black, tier two, baby. Great album, excellent album. Love I think I don't. So my first my first CD for sure was the Gangsta's Paradise CD single. Good one. Uh, and then the next two, I don't know which order they came in, but it was it was Green Day, Dookie and Tchaikovsky's Greatest Hits. Sure. Uh, my first CD without question was Warren G. Regulate G-Funk Era. Oh, that's even better than Gangsta's Paradise. I, I had the full album of Gangsta's Paradise. Meanwhile, Mike, the, Mike, the Dangerous Mind soundtrack. Dangerous Mind soundtrack, sure. Yeah. Mike was listening to Amish Paradise, like, what? What a fucking beat. This guy, he can do it all, every genre. <laughs> it's not that I was that that I never heard of Coolio or Gangster's Paradise. It's just I did not like seek out music as a kid. I choose not to to accept that. I, I mean I prefer I prefer my headcanon. Yeah, I Same. mean the only albums I heard like writing in the car as a kid was uh Bob Seeger, uh Shania Twain. Uh, the one Shania Twain album, and then my mom listened to America and Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Mm. So like Bob other, Seger, yeah, love Bob Seger. Oh, like later, lo- like as a kid, I did not necessarily care for Bob Seger. Now I'm I like, think, I think right. old time rock and roll was my first ever favorite song. Like mm. when I was a child, mm-hmm. old time rock and roll would come on. I'd be like, yeah, that's the shit. Turn it up. Then I'm like a child in the in the family van. Sure. There is, I don't know if it's still up on YouTube, but Hollywood Nights, there's isolated vocals of just of just Seeger going off on it. And it is like hauntingly kind of beautiful in a way. Because it has like his riffs going like, oh, yeah. like doing that stuff, like, like vamping. Hauntingly beautiful. I believe it. That will not uh, be someone's My thing. first... My first favorite songs, uh, either Aaron Tippin, You Gotta Stand for Something or You'll Fall for Anything, mm-hmm. or Travis Tritt, Here's a Quarter, Call Someone Who Cares. <laughs> oh, rude, Travis. Go. Yeah. Um, looking at the at the Dangerous Mind soundtrack, uh, Big Mike got a song on there, uh, the New Orleans rapper, and Rappin' Forte also had a song. Rappin' so, Forte. Yeah. Uh, Bay Area guy? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I yeah, remember. So- I remember the Dangerous Minds music video. Oh yeah. And Michelle great. Pfeiffer sitting backwards in the chair with Coolio all up in her grill. I'm sorry. Forte had two songs on the two songs. On uh, also, there was a song called "Gin and Juice" that was not "Gin and Juice" by Dr. Dre and Tupac and uh, Snoop Dogg. Very sure. funny. Anyway. Personal friend of Cody Rhodes, Snoop Dogg. So I- yes. Exactly. So I'm looking at the uh, listings from the Greatest Hits Volume 2 of Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Starting off with Headline News, a parody of Crash Test Dummies, 
Bedrock Anthem, a parody of Under the Bridge and Give It Away. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, the, and then we had Original Melly, Who Cares, Smells Like Nirvana, Achy Breaky Song, The Theme to UHF, Money for Nothing, uh, Jurassic Park, which was a cover of MacArthur Park by Richard Harris. So that's... that's My mother's good. favorite song is MacArthur yeah. Park. Uh, Yoda, and then a, a song that... Like this album was released in 1994. You don't need to parody. Later. You don't need to parody MacArthur's Park. It's already a parodical song. Yeah, but but here's the last track here. Uh, it's a style parody of Christmas carols. It's a fil- ar- arranged like the wall sound. The title of this song, "Christmas at Ground Zero." 1994. Wow, what did what did Weir Al know? Yeah, I'm just saying he might he might he have predicted some both stuff. both 9/11 and um like Warren Specter? Is his first name Warren? No. Specter? Phil Specter. Phil Specter. Yeah. Warren Specter is the Deus Ex guy, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, that, that that is Warren Specter. Phil Specter. Yeah. Um what what was the <laughs> what I'm trying we... to find this on the internet, but Weird Al signed like some insane record contract. Yeah, like for, for like a million albums that mm-hmm. he had to do. Anyway, the point of this is to subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, we'll have Double or Nothing stuff kicking off soon. Uh, all right, next week on Dynamite, taped Serena D versus Thunder Rosa. Right, was that for the NWA title? Did I miss that? No, Serena D no, has... Didn't, didn't she lose it? Does Camille have it or something? No, no, no. The, the current Here thing is happened... one thing I promise the listeners. I will never fucking watch NWA. Power. Uh, never. No, no. So the storyline is that if uh, she loses to Camille, she has to only wrestle in NWA. And next week it is versus. But does, she ha- does she have the title? I don't think Thunder no, no. doesn't have the title. Who has it? Uh, it is a it is NWA Women's World Championship. Uh, Serena Deeb versus Red Velvet next week. Red Velvet. So does Deeb have it? Yes, Deeb has it to return from injury. Okay. Wait, she's yeah, not she's... wrestling Thunder Rosa next week. I made that up. Yes, you did. It's Red Velvet. Okay, so and it is a NWA World's Women's Title match. Okay, okay. It's Tag titles: Young Bucks versus the Varsity Blondes, Christian Cage versus Matt Seidel, Anthony Agogo versus Austin Gunn. A very weird card. I mean, uh, very upset that Austin Gunn's going to lose. Now they yeah. did all the put all this time into protecting the Gun Club, giving them all these wins, uh, main event wins on Dynamite, and then. Finally bring him back to Dynamite only for him to lose. I mean, I can't be too mad because, you know, I'm all in on Anthony Agogo and I hope he uh, knocks Cody's head off. But but too bad that Austin Gunn has to be collateral damage. Yeah, why couldn't it be Colton? I mean, Colton's right there. We all love Austin. We don't care for Colton. I love that the YouTube, of course, is like slightly behind when we're talking. So after we'd figured out that I fucked that up, it's like it's Red Velvet. And then Thoris is like, Deeb, Deeb's the champion. But it's like, I didn't see that at the time because there's like a minute lead time or something like that. Okay, here's what we know for Double or Nothing. Uh, May 30th, the Women's World title, Hikaru Shida versus Britt Baker, Hangman Page versus Brian Cage. Google Docs automatically changes Brian to Brain every time. Yeah. And Brain Cage is just like the funniest shit to me because obviously he's dumb. So it's just yeah. very funny. <laughs> Muse right. Cage. Cody Rhodes versus Anthony Agogo and the men's world title, Kenny Omega versus Pac versus Orange Cassidy. The, the first triple threat, is that right? Cracker Barrel Clash for the world title. Yeah. 
I, they should bring that back. It has well, it, the, the the rules are exactly the same as the Cracker Barrel class. There's no difference in the rules. So, will, will there be a barrel? That's the only question. That that's the only determination between a triple threat match and a Cracker Barrel cl- class, right? Nate, Kenny should have Don bring the barrel out. I I mean. You say that, but that means Doc Gallus is going to wear the bell, the barrel. And then Michael Nakazawa should be in the barrel. Right, yes. So Doc Gallus wearing the barrel. He has the suspenders on to wear the barrel. Michael Nakazawa pops out halfway through. Like a like a kangaroo carrying around his young. Exactly. Her exactly. young, I guess. Yeah, this is a money idea. They they have not yet leveraged what was what would obviously be a great pairing, especially comedically, in Doc Gallus and Michael Nakazawa. I think that's big money. I think that could be you know, that huh. could that could at least drive uh, ratings on impact. Saw some kangaroos at the zoo when I went a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. These motherfuckers, they can jump so far. They cover <laughs> so much ground. It's wild. Yo, you know you know those animals that we know, these marsupials that we know have like preternaturally strong legs? They can jump. Yeah, that was me. I was watching them jump and I was like, damn, you can really jump. That's I, I I absolutely believe that. Um oh, I did sure. go to the zoo. I did go to the zoo and I saw uh these these fuckers, giraffes, these guys' necks are so long, you they're would not crazy. believe they go all the way like you're down on the ground and their their necks are like up eating from the trees. It is wild. Okay, I think this is a little unfair. I don't think it's as well known how much kangaroos can jump. I think that's mm, I pretty think specialized knowledge <laughs> that comes from visiting your local zoo that has kangaroos. Mm. <clears throat> I'm mm. trying to think. Of course, I think the big touchstone for kangaroos for everyone is probably Kangaroo Jack, the movie with Anthony Naturally. Anderson. Yeah. I'm trying to think if they if he jumps in that. I just can't. He... <sighs> did, did Anthony Anderson get canceled? Is that right? I think he got half-assed canceled, but it's still on... Yeah, probably a bunch of television shows. I, I thought he got canceled like years before cancellation, and it reared again. Yeah, I think that was probably that probably sounds right. He was so good in the Shield. He was so good in the uh, Steven Seagal and DMX movie, whichever oh, one that was. I forgot. Big he star was... turn from Anthony Anderson. I forgot he was in Romeo Must Die and Cradle to the Grave. I don't know if he was in both of those, but he was definitely in. Oh, you're talking about DMX. No, I'm talking about Anthony Anderson. I no, I didn't know that either. So he so he was canceled before, then something come came up in 2018 that canceled him again, but charges were not pressed. There we go. Blackish. He might still be on Blackish, according to Danny in the YouTube chat. Can't believe that that still exists. Wild. Um, okay. Well, I think that's the show for this week. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron, like the car. Nate's at Epitasis. Mike's at Fuji. Hey, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating and review on the Apple podcast app. And of course, subscribe at patreon.com slash everything elite. Uh, that's it for Mike, for Nate. Uh, 